A reading from Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I first began the ordination process about four or five years ago, Paul and I hopped in the car and we drove about an hour outside of town, and we went to meet with a minister who, who interviewed me and asked me all sorts of things. He asked me why I was interested in ministry, and he wanted to know whether or not I was up for the task. And to be fair, it, it was a helpful experience because it sort of foreshadowed the next few years of my life, but of course... Um, Nobody likes the feeling of being interrogated and grilled. So I sat there and I answered questions about this and about that. And he asked me what I thought about all sorts of things. And then, and then he looked at me with this look in his eye that said, what I'm about to say is of utmost importance. And he looked at me and he said, what are your best and most important disciplines of self-care? Well, I racked my brain for a bit, and then delaying the inevitable, I asked him to repeat the question. So he said, how do you practice self-care? So I, I looked over at Paul, and then I thought to myself again for a second, I looked back at him and I said, you know, I've just, I've got to be honest with you, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know what you mean by self-care, self-doubt, self-pity. I can talk to you about those for days, but I don't know a thing about self-care. So as it turns out, for, for so many of us, the Christian religion is often presented to us as just that, as a religion or system of disciplines by which we grow and we progress into the better version of ourselves. More pure, more righteous, less sinful. Through discipline or acts of self-care, we're convinced that we can will and work our way into being someone who's fit for ministry, into someone who's fit to raise a family, to run a business, or to finish school to fight off depression 
or loneliness or even sickness all on our own through our own self-care. So what are your best disciplines of self-care? Or perhaps a better question this evening is how are those disciplines working out for you? How far along the way to becoming a better you, a better parent, friend, employee, spouse, or minister are you? If you're like me, or if you're like anyone I've ever met in my entire life, they're not working out too well for you. Or at least you don't feel like you've become or gotten all that much closer to the man or the woman that you want to become through your own efforts. Because life is still full of suffering, after all. And how can that be if we've been working so hard and striving to climb up that ladder of accomplishment and achievement through discipline? Then why am I still sick? Why do I still feel so alone? And why is this world full of so much tension And why are my families so broken? In this morning's gospel reading, or this evening's gospel reading, it says morning here, um, (laughs) but it's actually evening. Um, In this evening's gospel reading, we begin to see an answer to these questions. We begin to see how Christianity actually isn't a religious system of discipline or achievement at all. It's a message. Christianity is a word, a good word. It is good news about the one true God whose unconditional love for the ungodly people of this world is just that. It's unconditional and it's absolute. Today we hear Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. We see Jesus leave a crowd and walk up a mountain. And then we see the disciples walk up that very same mountain right after him. And now remember, these are the same disciples who've just put down their nets to follow him. They still stink of fish, and their skin still cracked from the sun. They've put down their nets, and they've followed him up to the top of this mountain. And you can picture them beginning to think to themselves, all right, I can do this. We can do this. We're set apart from the crowd. That's pretty nice. We're following this great guy, this celebrity. We're literally standing on top of a mountain. We've made it. We've made the right decisions and taken the right steps forward. And through our own efforts now, we're among the elite. Things are going to be pretty great. But then Jesus slowly turns around and he looks at them, knowing the place of glory and achievement that their mind has so quickly raced to, he begins to talk to them about the beloved. Those who, right here, right now, are the poor, the sick, the meek in the morning, those who are persecuted. Jesus says, you're not blessed for coming up this mountain, and you're not blessed for climbing the spiritual ladder, or being, or doing good. 
You can almost see Jesus pointing down to the huddled masses at the bottom of the mountain, saying, blessed are those who hunger and seek after righteousness. Because after all, to hunger and seek for something is to be so painfully aware that you don't have it, that you're not righteous, that you're not righteous at all. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, those who are honest about their heart actually not being that pure at all, but in fact being in need of mercy and grace. Blessed are those who have stopped climbing and simply lifted their eyes up unto the mountain to see where their help comes from, from outside themselves. And with that gentle point of the finger, Jesus flips and overturns the ways of the world that we all know, that we all believe, that we need to be strong and we need to grit our teeth and we need to ignore our pain as weakness and move on, move on and along this path towards glory and achievement. With this one little look, Jesus flips it on its head. And then you can imagine the disciples who've put their nets down and followed him beginning to flip out a little bit. Because the disciples are just like you. They're just like me. They don't want to see themselves for who they truly are. As someone who is in need. Someone who mourns. Who's weak. Who's poor and who isn't righteous. We don't want to acknowledge how futile and foolish our means of obtaining happiness and joy through self-control and discipline and accomplishment are. But thankfully, although it sure doesn't feel so good, life does present itself with plenty of painful opportunities to come to that realization. Jason Isbell is one of my favorite all-time musicians. And he can attest to this painful truth in our lives. Jason's a talented guitar player and songwriter from Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And at a really early age, he, he, got, he found a whole lot of success in one of my favorite high school bands, a band called the Drive-By Truckers. But as the band and Jason got better and better and better, Jason got worse and worse and worse. He was unraveling, and he was doing it in the public eye, under the weight of drugs and alcohol and women. His marriage ended, and his friends eventually had to kick him out of the band that had come to mean everything to him. Things were falling apart. But a few years back, he released a solo album about getting sober and meeting his second wife, Amanda. And he sings this. He says, old lovers would say, I thought it'd be me who'd help him get home. But home was a dream, one I'd never seen until you came along. Now, that's a beautiful line. But underneath it it's the, is the horrible, painful experience of Jason seeing for the very first time just how out of control of his life and his destiny and his happiness that he truly was. 
Because until he could stop his attempts to overpower and silence the suffering and the difficulties of life that we all know too well, with professional success and booze and drugs, he didn't have a prayer. Because just like me, Jason Isbell couldn't save himself. He was way beyond a self-care remedy. He had to see and feel the system of success and glory that he'd constructed being painfully torn down to a place where he could acknowledge his brokenness and his need for help, his weakness. He sings this in another recent song. You thought God was an architect, but now you know. He's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything you built that's all for show goes up in flames in 24 frames. Now I think whether he knows it or not, Jason Isbell has stumbled upon a gospel truth here. Because the gospel isn't about perfection or building ourselves up or overpowering the weight that we all carry along with us on our own. Christianity is about life. It's about life that at times feels like one painful pipe bomb after another that reveals to us just how out of control of our lives and our destinies we are. It's about a life of failure and mistakes. It's about a life of unbearable weakness. It's about your life. It's about my life. It's about a life of self-inflicted and unintended circumstances that drop us down to our knees. But then in that place, in that place, poor and meek and mourning, in that place, we're loved. In that place, we're forgiven. In that place, we receive grace. Because the gospel is the good news that you and I, in the midst of our explosive lives, are blessed. Our own rock star in residence, Sam Bush, puts it like this. Honey, somewhere down the line, I can't remember when, I began to fall behind the beginning of the end. People say I'm doing fine and some of them are friends, but I'm on the outside forever looking in. I've done all I could to find my place, but I just got lost instead. Honey, could you be the way? Could you be the way ahead? Fall in through these doors if only for a while. Go back to the days when you were still a child. You're looking for a voice to come from above. But could you ever find another word for love? We can all look. We can all keep on climbing and building systems of discipline and self-effectiveness. But there is no other word for love. And that word is Jesus Christ. 
We need love that meets us where we are, in the deep valleys of our lives, rather than the mountaintops we long for. We need love that doesn't wait for us to get our acts together and to ascend up to Him, but comes down to us and died on a cross for us so that we might live, so that the reign of sin and death and self-congratulatory ladder climbing might be destroyed, might be blown up once and for all, so that we might hear It is finished. So where in your life tonight are you feeling this painful reminder that you are at the bottom of the mountain? Where are you like the disciples trying to fool yourself that you can climb back up all on your own? Because it's in that place where your weakness redirects your eyes away from yourself and your own efforts and your own doings just for one second. And it's in that place that you find the strength of Jesus' love, Jesus' mercy, and Jesus' forgiveness. What you find is that You're blessed. Amen.